0: You're listening to the Townsville Chambercast, essential information, ideas and news that matters to the business community of Townsville. In this episode, Michael sits down with Damien Scanlon following his latest Chamber on Tap presentation. Have a listen while Michael and Damien discuss when the right time is to invest in not only your business, but yourself. Welcome, Michael and Damien.
1: Thank you Claire for that introduction and I now want to add my own personal welcome to our guest presenter Damien Scanlon who's joined me in the podcast booth after having given a very popular presentation as part of the Townsville Chambers Chamber on Tap series. Damien's only been with James Cook University for just over a year managing the MBA and postgraduate programs for the College of Business Law and Governance and we greatly appreciate you giving up your time this afternoon. But perhaps before we launch into this topic of you know, when is a good time to invest in yourself and your business? Maybe just a little bit of background for um, uh, the listeners to um, understand where you've come from.
2: Sure. Well, i probably have what you would describe as a very rich and varied life. Uh, While I've been in the university sector for only really 10 years now, my whole life has predominantly been in the private sector. Um, I've sort of held senior positions, CEO, CFO, COO, and some fairly large industries in publicly listed companies, um, aviation and minerals processing, aquaculture, um, and the like. So I've had a sort of journeyman's, I guess, travels. um, But even uh, sort of before that, uh, when I left school, my desire was to actually um, go and find my roots in the UK. And so I worked at all these different jobs, including tuna fishing for six months out at sea, private gardener, fish factory, builders, laborer, and ended up in the hospitality industry. And that sort of allowed me to, I guess, get enough money to travel but it was probably one of the greatest um, formative experiences of my life was uh, doing all those different experiences and then I travelled the world for uh, a couple of years and um, once again uh, probably a great eye-opener to under- try and understand how this complicated world of ours works and um, and then it really piqued my interest in economics and um, all sorts of things. So from there I sort of joined the uh, the orthodox life after a very unorthodox life and um, and uh, I've moved about, and here I am in JCU. And and more
1: importantly, you established your roots in Townsville, which is absolutely fantastic.
2: Yes. Well, look, I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time up in the tropics, and I'm delighted to be here, and um, it's a fascinating part, and a very special part. Um, you know, it's... It's quite unique, um, you know, and JCU you know, is, is a very unique university, you know, obviously servicing a very unique part of our, our, our community and our, also our landscape and the educational requirements around that, and they excel extraordinarily well for a small and young university, so it's, a, it's, it's good to be here.
1: Yeah, um, and I think what you would bring then to particularly the MBA and those postgraduate programs is a rich tapestry of experience and background. I think the students would certainly benefit from that and everyone engaging in and undertaking research will benefit from that exposure yeah. to a wide range of...
2: Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. It resonates, particularly with MBA students, because they will, will basically be thinking about doing an MBA to help them on their journey, to help them on them perhaps reaching, you know, I guess more senior ranks or perhaps going out on their own or even moving industries. So I guess I can talk from... Experience, which can, you know, naturally, if you live long enough, it can be good, bad and ugly. And uh, that's Definitely. what life is all about. I mean, I always say to people, you know, success brings great confidence, but failure brings, you know, great resilience and you need both in life and... Um, You know, when no one looks to fail in life, no one ever sets out to fail. But unfortunately, or fortunately, we need to recognise that we have limitations and know what they are. And failing helps us do that. But it hurts, but Mm. it is an important part of life.
1: It sure hurts. Um, And I suppose when you look at our topic about, you know, when is a good time to invest in yourself and your business, one of the main catalysts of having to think about um, that investment process um, is change. Um, change often, uh, th- is thrust upon us and on other occasions change is something we initiate. So what do you see is the, um, you know, the, I suppose the nature of some of that change and the need for investment?
2: Well, we hear this word disruption really bandied about a lot these days and um, as if it's something new. But, you know, I remind people that, you know, Middle Ages and the Renaissance dragged, dragged us out in, into the sort of more enlightened time. And then sort of we went through, you know, the move from the agrarian sort of society into the cities and the industrial revolution. And, you know, and now we're sort of in the digital re- revolution. So, I mean, you know, we've been going through change as a human race for millennia. So I think I think the, the the point of saying we're doing something unique is probably a bit overstretched. But having said that, the pace of change and the significance of change in the digital revolution is quite extraordinary. I mean, you know, the, the ability to reach billions of people uh, so quickly has never ever been uh, available to us you know we watched our reaches as, as as markets uh, improve with jet travel we could actually get our goods and services beyond our shores or beyond our villages or whatever and um, and now with the digital world all of a sudden the whole world opens up so it is quite significant i'm not ever suggesting that somehow this generation has got something that we've always had. No, they've got something special. And so that brings all sorts of challenges because, you know, with these sorts of changes, there's investments in technology and so therefore, you know, employees need to think about, well, what are the skills they're going to need to keep up with that? Employers need to think about, or well, do I need to keep up to stay in the game? What are the things that I need to do? And what are the new opportunities now um, that are unfolding in front of us as, you know, these opportunities arise? So I think, you know, there's a whole heap of things to think about, you know, but you don't have a lot of time. I mean, these things happen Mm. fairly quickly. But I think most importantly is that, um, you know, we do move with with, with the times um, relatively well as human beings. You know, I think back um, to my father. He was a doctor for 50 years, and you know, when he first was a student, they didn't even study chemistry because yeah. it wasn't the depth of knowledge was not there. And then to be able to move with the times and, and and become very sophisticated in your thinking, it's just a natural process that we get used to. If you were to take my father from 50 years ago and plonk him in today, he would fail miserably simply because he hasn't had that incremental way of learning. And so I think you know, I've got great confidence that you know we can embrace all of these changes. But it does mean that you've got to think about yourself. When are you going to think about investing in in yourself, whether you're an employee or whether you're an employer, and if you're a, um, a business owner or perhaps a chief executive, when are you going to start investing in, in your employees? And what are the sorts of things that they're going to need to embrace these these new changes that are coming um, and br- embracing some of the other, I guess, not so technical things in life that we're all beginning to look for these days?
1: Mm. And with COVID, of course, it changed the way uh, we learnt um, and it had a particularly Um, dramatic impact on universities higher education institutions in terms of the processes they used um, to give instruction to give teaching and learning and also for students to learn to learn how to do it remotely and um, through online means what other changes do you see down the track that are going to be needed in the higher education industry or the post-secondary industry
2: yeah I think COVID has Really precipitated a lot of rethinking about the way we did it. I mean, universities had to pivot pivot very quickly. I reluctantly use that word, but it's used a lot these days. But they did have to turn on a sixpence, as they used to say, and very quickly adapt to making sure that they were looking after their students. Um, And so did uh, employers. They had to very quickly accommodate. their workers being at home and did they have the technology to be able to do that so that really did precipitate a lot of change and a lot of change in the way we work as as teams the way we work as as students and um, and I think that's really sort of been a really interesting um, I guess revelation because y- you know you may have heard the big resignation where people through COVID have began to sort of reassess their values in life and uh, uh, wanting to change jobs because they didn't want to be in that rat race where the commute was huge, um, they worked all day, they got back on the train or the tram or the car and they were, you know, home in an hour or two hours and it was just a grind. But it was something that's all they knew and all of a sudden COVID gave them an insight into... I guess, work-life balance in a real sense. We often talk about that, but we never really actually do it and experience it. Well, some people do, but not everybody. And I think that's really allowed people to reassess their values. And they're looking for things perhaps a little bit more deeper in life. They want a company that's got... Or an organisation that's got some meaning, that's got some soul to it, some some social purpose way beyond you know the bottom line. I mean, you've got to be profitable, otherwise you're not going to remain employed. But you know, and you're you're actually satisfying some customers' needs. So these are all very important things. But you've got to do it sustainably and profitably. But you can do it with with values, and I think that's really important um, uh, for employees these days. But employers need to think about that too. You know, what are the what are all those things that um, you know if What sort of environment, what sort of culture do we need to nurture to make sure that we're going to find people that want to stay with us, that do actually, you know... um I guess, believe in the vision that we're looking for and believe in the culture that we're trying to build here. And this is supported by some fairly extensive research. The OECD did some research back in 2016 and was looking ahead way before COVID, but it was looking ahead. It asked all these employers as to what were the 10 main skills that you were looking for from your employees. And not one of them said financial literacy, economic understanding, um, you know, good understanding of markets. Um, it was all about creative thinking, lateral thinking, being a team player, having a global outlook, you know, being innovative. All of these things had no sort of, I guess, basis on in which you would find a traditional university degree. Um, and so universities now have had to change and, and think about the way they're actually trying to help develop um, their students as individuals as human beings, way beyond the technical capabilities they're giving them as well. So, for example, in our MBA, yes, you're going to get all those technical skills, finance, economics, marketing, etc., etc., but on top of that, we're trying to embed all those types of skills, those soft skills that we call them soft, they're the hardest in the world, but um, <laughs> in making sure that we are developing people as, as good human beings way beyond their technical skills as business people.
1: Mm. And and Damien, we used, often used to talk about lifelong learning and, and people's commitment to lifelong learning. And do you think, um, you know, for some employees, uh, I remember going through chartered accounting knowing that I had to do my Bachelor of Commerce and then usually followed them by my chartered accounting qualification Uh, but within five to ten years you knew you would have to do a graduate diploma in something if you didn't go on to do an MBA. Do you think that commitment to lifelong learning um, has the responsibility may have shifted away from the employee to the employer one to make sure their um, staff are developing and growing in in various areas but secondly in terms of retaining them uh, the retention and offering them free opportunities to. uh...
2: Yeah I think it's a You know what we call creative tension. I think there's, there's both sides are really looking for those, um, I guess, those extra aspects to how how they can develop as people. Um, You know, I think employees are looking for ways that can make them better employees, um, perhaps more employable beyond their current, you know, organisation. Whether they want to move industries completely, they want to move out of a particular industry and go into another industry. And employers are looking. Clearly, uh, ways to making sure that one um, they're keeping their employees happy by providing personal development, but it's not it's not all just altruistic stuff. This is about making sure that the company is up to date with the types of skills that they're looking for. And universities have had to change as well um, because you know, yes, we have traditional degrees um, and 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 postgraduate degrees, but they're now moving towards what we call micro credentialing, where some people don't want to spend you know, a few years doing part-time work at the master's level. They want to be able to do these short courses, short, sharp and shiny, maybe a day, maybe five days. And that way they're doing really quick I guess master classes in certain areas that in themselves aren't what we call award courses, you know, recognised with a parchment from a university, but the university will start to recognise the consolidated components of those courses. So if you do a number of those um, micro-credentials, the university can actually put them together and say, right, you have qualified for this particular um, degree or particular qualifications. So even the universities are now beginning to recognise that people's appetite for those more traditional things are still there, but they're also recognising there's an appetite for a different way of learning. And I think lifelong learning, a bit of a pun, but it's here to stay. (laughs) (laughs) Well said.
1: The other dimension, of course, investing in, uh, for businesses choosing to invest, often is in technology. Um, Although, uh, you know, some of the books like Good to Great would often... Um, be very clear about technology not being used as a replacement for staff and as a as a, a replacement of labour. But in fact, it would often be an accelerator. Having got your structure and your people right, technology was there to be used as an accelerant. Where do you see, I suppose, the role of investment in technology these days or well, in the I, future?
2: You know, I, I, I see it as an enabler. I, you know, you know, we took, people get worried about artificial intelligence and machine learning that's going to take over the world, and there's going to be no jobs left. Well, there will be jobs that will be replaced um, by um, artificial intelligence and um, machine learning, but they're those more repetitive jobs, and. There's nothing new in that. I mean, the car industry introduced robotics back in the 60s. So all they were doing was replacing repetitive work. And you might say, well, that's still taking jobs away. Well, I think there was a large group of the population that didn't want to come to the factory and leave their brain at the door, you know, do the repetitive Mm -hmm. stuff and pick their brain up at five o'clock and go home. There is a role for that, absolutely. And I'm not criticizing that. But I think, you know, this day and age, people are looking for something a little bit more fulfilling. And I like to sort of think of technology as as if it can make life better, easier, more efficient and economical, then we're on a winner. But it's a bit like um, the online space in in learning. And I've always taken the view, and this is my view, um, not necessarily shared by um, all universities and teachers, teaching uh, providers. But I take the view that Um, online learning is a supplement, it's never a replacement to the face-to-face. I take the view that the deepest, richest learning is in the classroom, simply because you are with a bunch of like-minded people motivated to learn, motivated to challenge themselves, and motivated to challenge each other and you're gonna build a fantastic network, you're gonna be with people from different industries, different backgrounds, and that learning environment is almost impossible to replicate in the online environment. And when you have a break and go and have a coffee, uh, great conversations take place. Really hard to do that when you're online. So, but it's a, it's a, it's a supplement, it's helping us learn. It, there is a place for it, um, but I'd like to see it as a supplement rather than a replacement.
1: Mm. and Damien when we talk about uh, an investment and whether it's in yourself or your business um, business people often talk about a return on investment do you think the the denominator or the numerator is now changing uh, often when you invested in staff or, or a piece of equipment or etc you'd expect a certain you know return of capital after five seven years and for people it was about an investment in them and it bought you loyalty they would stay with the firm or in some cases an industry recognized like in the chartered accounting industry I was I went through if If each of the big firms would properly ensure that their people were professionally trained and experienced, knowing that even if they left their firm, they would go to another one of those firms and one of their members' firms would come to yours, so it would stay within the industry. Do you think that, um, yeah, just that notion of a return on investment, what do you think that means nowadays?
2: Well, I think, you know, it's a very good question because um, even the, uh, I guess, the shareholders now of, you know, big companies are now looking for returns way beyond the bottom line. And I think inevitably that's going to be involved in, you know, what are you doing with regard to how are you supporting your people, how are you supporting your community and how are you supporting the environment. And, you know, we all hear about ESG, you know, um, Mm -hmm. environmental, social and governance Governance, matters. And that's becoming more and more important because there's a recognition community-wise that there is more to life than the bottom line. And the research backs this up. I mean, you know, companies that have outstanding cultures of nurturing, investing in their people do actually make more money (laughs) because they get a far more productive workforce. They get people, you know, lower turnover, lower sick pay, you know, so... And it's people that will prepare to do... Just go that extra hard job when it's required because they love what they do. Now, you're never going to have a good day every day. That's impossible. But they will have more good days than bad days, and that what's makes a great company. So I think, you know, these are the things that, you know, people are beginning to recognise are really important, and, and the numbers actually support it too. So it's not as if that these are just, you know, altruistic notions of being nice to people, done properly, done well, done with authenticity and, and honesty and respect, and um, the results will come. Mm.
1: And Damien, so look, I think we've fixed up the company now. We've fixed up the business. <laughs> we've fixed up the staff. They're all happy. They're well-trained. They're nourished. They're, they're doing the business owner. Um, and for a lot of them over the last two to three years, and it probably even started before COVID, we're feeling the pressure and stress of keeping their businesses going, rising costs, um, Smaller margins, international, global competition. Some business owners have been to hell and back and have survived COVID, had to struggle through with their businesses to keep them online, keep them profitable, keep, you know, draw into their cash reserves just to keep businesses going. Where do you see um, the investment? Or maybe I should be saying, how important is it for a business owner to actually invest in themselves to make sure that they've got all the key components working so that they can sustain themselves into the future?
2: I think. Um that's another very good question because one thing that really is apparent through the research is that business owners, particularly small businesses, and let's keep it to small businesses at the moment because mm. it, basically that's the engine of the Australian economy really. I mean we yeah, all hear correct. about what's going on in the stock exchange, but most of the states are, are driven by you know small to medium enterprises, so let's think about that for the moment. Um, they will often spend most of their time working in the business rather than on the business. And that means that it's really hard to put your head up, uh, get up on the balcony and have a look what's going on the dance floor. And a lot of ways, by taking time out, I know most business owners say we don't have time, we don't have time. Well, if you don't have time, it means you don't trust your people, you don't trust yourself, uh, you don't trust your system. So that's probably a good reflection on, well, where are you at um, as as a person and, and, and in your journey? So what I've found in my experience is when business owners come and do an MBA it's been originally they'll, they'll do it because they want to be able to get a little bit more financially literate they really want to be able to understand accounting far more than what their accountant's telling them they want they just don't want to you know be told by something by their accountant they actually we're not going to make them an accountant but we're going to actually tell them what the numbers mean and you know and and when they want to you know, invest in some capital? What are the, some of the financial models they use? And how do you actually have a look at what's, what's going on in the economy and, and what's the likely impact on that? And then how do you actually look at the industry and the industry dynamics that you're in and all those sorts of things? And how are you your branding? That's all really important stuff and it allows business owners to get a really good contemporary way of what's going on. Mm. And, and release and those
1: them. creative juices. Yes, yeah. and
2: release those creative juices. But what it also does is actually allow them to perhaps see the world a little differently and it gives them new perspectives. And importantly, it's going to give new perspectives from their fellow um, students. They're going to come from different industries, different backgrounds, and they're going to be looking at the same problem as you are, but from their perspective. And you're going to look at it from your perspective, and all of a sudden you're going to get a whole array of different views. So the lenses that you begin to actually Put together, are far greater than what you actually had when you first came in. So, if if it can open up your mind to new ways of thinking, new ways of looking at the world, then I think that's a really good, a good justification for what you know, in, what it really means to invest in yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, look, thanks very much, Damien. This has been very enlightening. Um, I can see now um, how the students of JCU and the MBA program and the postgraduate program is going to greatly benefit from your experience your life experiences and that rich tapestry of exposure you've had to so many industries Um, that will certainly get students thinking beyond the textbook that's in front of them and I think uh, JC will be the greater beneficiary for that so thank you very much for your time. Thanks
2: Michael and um, all of our students and then graduates are all part of a community here and hopefully they will be going out doing great things for all of us.
1: Great thank you very much Damien.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Townsville Chambercast. Remember to subscribe so you're the first to know when new episodes are released. The Townsville Chamber of Commerce would like to acknowledge our corporate partners, James Cook University, 106.3 Star FM, External IT and NQAV for their continued support.